The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Face the Raven. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, in your favorite podcast app, or watch us on the StarQuest YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. where when you do so, you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications and, of course, subscribe. Uh, and stick around to the end of the show. We have some of your listener feedback that we'd love to share and respond to. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are certain to enjoy called The Secrets of Technology. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. So, uh, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this episode? This week, we see the long-delayed departure and death of Clara Oswald. Here's how it happens. Clara has become increasingly doctor-like, and she's recklessly treading in territory that humans should not. She gets a call from Riggsy, a guy she met back in the episode Flatline, and he's got an emergency. He's got a tattoo that is counting down to zero. Upon investigation, Clara and the doctor learn that Riggsy has a wife and a child, and that he has 24 hours of missing memory. They trace what happened to him to a street in London that is filled with aliens and hidden behind a perception filter. The street is run by a shilder, or Mayor Me, and she keeps the street safe from humans by rigidly enforcing a code of laws. Anyone who breaks the law will be killed by something called a quantum shade that takes the form of a raven. Rule breakers must face the raven and die. Riggsy was framed for the murder of one of the street's inhabitants, which is why he was given the countdown tattoo, indicating the time until he would have to face the raven. Then his mind was wiped and he was let go. We later learned that Riggsy was framed and the woman is actually still alive, and that this was all a trap to bring the doctor to the street, so it really was a trap street. A shoulder has been bribed by the Time Lords to catch the doctor and put a teleport bracelet on his arm so they can take him. She does this. She also takes his confession dial. But before that happens, Clara transfers Riggsy's doom to herself so that he can go back to his wife and child. Clara foolishly assumes that she and the doctor will be able to find a way out of this situation, but a shoulder indicates that by transferring the doom, Clara has cut her out of the deal, and she has no way of stopping the raven from killing Clara. The doctor is furious and threatens a shoulder with dire vengeance if she doesn't find a way out of this, but Clara points out that the doctor's vengeful reign will collapse as soon as he sees its first crying child, and she begs him not to be vengeful in the wake of her death. She then bravely goes to face the raven and dies. Afterwards, the doctor tells a shoulder to stay out of his way, the teleport bra- and the teleport bracelet transfers him away to whatever fate the Time Lords have waiting for him. The End Father Corey, your uh, overall impression of this episode? This is one I I don't recall liking it that much first. I mean, there's there's things of it I like, but there, I don't recall liking it that much first time. And now, of course, having the hindsight of what's going to happen in the next two episodes, I really don't like this one because <laughs> it, it, it its payoff is cheapened out by the end of this three parter. Um, it is 
the doctor goes to Diagon Alley of, of Harry Potter. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. It's the same principle, same idea. Um, Clara is her most obnoxious. I think this is, this is one reason why I've always given Clara such, I haven't liked Clara as a companion because she gets this obnoxious. Um, but this is her at her most obnoxious. And I just, I, I, I just, I, as I was watching, it's like, okay, it's not a bad story, but ending is just the ending, which should have been powerful. is just completely wiped out in a couple of stories. So I, I really don't like this one. I didn't like it in the beginning. I really don't like this one now. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? So I decided to watch this one on its own terms. And I know, so the, the upcoming episodes, um, Heaven Sent and Hell Bent, the first is considered by many fans to be genius, just stellarly done. Although I have, I have at least one notable criticism of it. Um, <clears throat> And then a lot of them absolutely hate Hellbent when the Doctor finally gets to Gallifrey and effectively undoes Clara's death. Um, so because we have these major up and major down episodes, at least according to the opinion of many in fandom, that follow this, I said, let's just take this on its own terms and pretend that those episodes don't exist. Be, you know, put myself in the position of someone who hasn't seen them yet. And I thought the story was okay. I don't view Clara as being obnoxious. I view Clara as being um, unhinged at this point. Uh, there is a moment where they're doing a scan of London from above using the TARDIS, and Clara is hanging out the door with the sonic sunglasses on, scanning the ground below them, and, and she almost falls completely out of the TARDIS while they're in midair. And it and she's exhilarated by it. And Riggsy says to the doctor, she enjoyed that way much more than she should have. And the doctor says something to the effect of, you notice this is an ongoing problem. Mm -hmm. And so they're showing Clara as going down a bad path. And and I think it's it's fair to show a companion doing that. Uh, some companions would. And uh, so I don't I don't fault them for that. And then her similar decisions of I'm so clever now, I've been traveling with the doctor and I'm going to take your doom on me. And then the doctor and I will figure a way out of this when in reality, she's dooming herself. You know, she didn't have to if they had let it play out once they established Riggsy's innocence, a shoulder could have lifted the doom. On Riggsy, no problem. It was because Clara intervened and took the doom on herself that a shoulder couldn't fix it. So this is this is just showing the consequences of a companion getting too big for their britches. And I don't have a problem with that in principle. Having said that, it's not my favorite episode for one reason, because it's got a shoulder in it. Um, but uh, I thought the death itself where you know, the doctor is swearing bloody vengeance on a shoulder if she doesn't fix the situation. And Clara finally redeems herself after after going down this dark path. She realizes I'm the one at fault here. Doctor, do not let yourself take vengeance. That's never going to work anyway. You know, don't be vengeful. And I'm going to accept responsibility and I'm going to go face the Raven. And she does. And all of that, regardless of what happens later, all of that is good character decisions. So Clara redeems herself here. Um, so even though it's not my favorite episode, I thought it, it was, um, I thought it was okay. 
And I also thought that of the companion deaths that we've had to this point, um, this was one of the better ones. Uh, thus far, we had um, Katerina die during the time of the first doctor, and she sacrificed herself to save the doctor, but basically she was a little girl getting airlocked. Mm-hmm. Um, then Sarah Kingdom, also in the Daleks Master Plan, also died when the Time Destructor went off, um, and she aged to death. Uh, then Adric uh, rode the spaceship to kill the dinosaurs. Um, Chameleon was deactivated by the doctor, but he barely counts as a companion. And that was a mercy killing anyway. (laughs) Um, But in terms of a companion having time to think about their death and accept it as responsibility for their actions, that's Clara's the first time that's happened on the show. Um, Katerina did self-sacrifice, but it was unplanned. It was just a a momentary emergency. I've got to stop this guy and we're in an airlock and otherwise the doctor's going to die. So that was self-sacrifice, but it wasn't reflective the way Clara's death was. It wasn't an accepting of personal responsibility. And so I actually thought that was interesting. Okay. Uh, for my part, um, I've often remarked that how much I hate Moffat's nobody ever dies ethos and how it cheapens the sacrifices made. And so apart from that very last bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> that knowledge, I kind of enjoy, I enjoyed this episode. It had the doctor at his 12th doctorist. Um, it had, you know, the quippy dialogue that Moffat is famous for. Um, it had some fun, uh, bits running around London and finding hidden aliens. And so the, I like those things. I like the concept of the quantum shade as a, you know, death sentence counting down and, and all of that. So I did enjoy it, but it's just that very ending. And I, I want to say more about that as, as we, as we go along, but uh, yeah, that, that cheapening of the sacrifice, that emotional cheat basically mm-hmm. yeah. um that when you do this and you you build but, up and you get the, the 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 viewer is uh emotionally engaged and then two episodes later yeah. it's all undone effectively i know that she's really in between she's gonna die eventually but so are we all so it's effectively undone and that 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 continues to annoy me as i rewatch it <laughs> so um i was gonna play this uh uh, uncle Roger, the the YouTube uh, video guy who does a oh, parody yeah. of his Asian uncle. I was going to play a clip of emotional damage <laughs> right yeah. when, I, when I talked about it, but I, I, yeah, I couldn't get that in time. So, <laughs> but just imagine that. So, uh, is it me or do all of the episodes that don't completely live up to their billing? Do they always start with the Doctor and his companion boarding the TARDIS, laughing and getting along, and because oh, I noticed that like. As this episode begins, the 12th Doctor and Clara board the TARDIS, and he is his getting alongest that he's ever been. Like, oh, that's a sure sign this companion is done. I just feel like sometimes with certain Doctors, it's been that way. Well, maybe it's like in a horror movie where you get to the end and there's this happy music and everyone who survived is safe. And all of a sudden, the killer lurches out again. (laughs) The, The killer's never dead. Um I, I enjoyed seeing Riggsy again. I think he was he was good in Flatline, and mm-hmm. uh, he was pretty good in this one. He didn't get a lot to do, but uh, it was nice to have him here. Mm-hmm. Um, He's basically a MacGuffin in this, but it's yes. nice to see him again. I like the continuity. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I like that they gave him a family. And yeah. that provided some nice touches where the doctor sees the baby, who's just a little baby, yes. and says to Riggsy, did you make this human? <laughs> and, and, and the doctor, as they're getting ready to go on the adventure, the doctor turns to Clara and says, bring the new human. <laughs> <laughs> and I really feel like that was a, an, an intentional inclusion to set up Clara's line at the end about, you know, you'll run into the, the first crying child, you'll, your reign of terror will end. You know, you just, mm-hmm. you, you could mm-hmm. never really carry out this, this threat. And uh, so I, but I did like that. Yeah. I, I always enjoy when the doctor and enc- like the new who, when the doctor encounters the babies, especially like when the, uh, the, the 10th doctor, 11th doctor and um, wasn't the lodger. It was the other episode where uh, um, Craig, what he, Craig, Craig yeah. yeah. Craig's baby. I was trying to think of the bit, what he called this uh, storm again, storm again. Yeah. I was going to say strong, bad, but storm again. And you know, then we have the first part of this episode is a lot of running around trying to find X on the map. You know, it's a it's a mm-hmm. treasure hunt, essentially, um, which is fun. I mean, there's some, some few nice touches. Uh, I like the doctor pulling out his carrying cards again mm-hmm. as he tries to tell Riggsy that he's going to die. And we don't even get yeah. to see what's on them, but he starts shuffling through them. And Riggsy notices this behavior and turns to Clara and says, what's he doing? And she says he's trying to be kind. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And and he says there's no nice way to tell him he's about to die, which is, you know, <laughs> you, that's the way you just told him he's about to die. Yeah, uh, that's the doctor. Um, I like that they so conceptually, there are a couple of things that are interesting early earlier in the episode. One is when the doctor scans Riggsy with the sonic, he then takes him to the TARDIS for a more thorough scan. And that's something that we almost never see. Normally the doctor just waves the TARDIS, waves the sonic screwdriver at something and, and, and that's it. In this case, he's using the sonic sunglasses, but he still doesn't get what he needs from them. So we get to see an actual scan in of someone in the TARDIS. And that makes sense that they would have better scanning technology on the TARDIS where they don't have space limitations. Um, He then tells Riggsy, because of his memory loss, you've been retconned. And that's a term from fandom. Yeah. It originated in comic book fandom. Retcon stands for retroactive continuity. And the idea is a retcon occurs in a comic book or in another medium when they change something in the backstory of a character. Like, for example, originally Swamp Thing was the scientist Alan Holland. Alec Holland, who fell in a swamp in a fire with a bunch of chemicals and mutated and became the Swamp Thing. And for years, that was Swamp Thing's origin. But then when Alan Moore came on the title, he changed it so that Alec Holland got covered in the chemicals and the fire, fell in the swamp and died. And then the swamp fed on the memories of Alec Holland to create Swamp Thing. Mm. And so it turns out Swamp Thing was never Alec Holland. He was a plant that believed he was Alec Holland. Mm. And so they've retroactively changed the story of the Swamp Thing. And that's known as retroactive continuity or retconning. Um, Here, the doctor is using the term just to mean they've deleted your memories, which is actually not what retconning is in (laughs) fandom, but it's kind of a nod to fandom. 
that but, uh, right. that they would do that. See, I, I got the impression it wasn't just they delete his memories; that it was actual um, uh, drug that they used. Because he talks about that his his cerebral his cerebral cortex is swimming in this retcon, like right. an, it's a chemical they actually injected into his body. It wasn't yeah. just a just a you know a short Scripture. phrase for saying they they erased your memory. Yeah, right. no, it is. But it's, right. it's a great he, nod. It is a great nod to fandom, though, because Doctor Who does it. You know, all the yeah. big <laughs> universes do it on occasion. Yeah. So oh, it's yeah. Kind of good not to say, yeah, William, th- this happens. William Hartnell was not the first doctor. There were all these others before him. The timeless child. <laughs> right. That was a retcon. Yep. Yes, exactly. D- doctor does it all the time. So it's, as was it's, Brain of Morbius. So, yeah, right. Well, they, uh, I don't know about Brain of Morbius because the 12 limit regeneration hadn't been established at that point. But it was right. still, we still knew that there was. It was new. Doctors yeah, before. true. True. Right. Yes. William Hartnell. New. Yep. Um. So I like the concept of the hidden streets, like that there are hid- secret pockets of hidden alien life living all around us. It's kind of like, um, uh, you know, the the movie. Well, um, never mind. The, the I was going to say, Will I mentioned Smith. you know, yeah. Diagon Alley from Harry yeah. Potter, where that's exactly what it is, is. There's this hidden alley that you can only you, you, it's hidden from sight. You know, normals don't yeah. see even the tavern that, it, that it's hidden in. But once you, you know, but once you're, you know, if you're a wizard, you can see it. Well, it's kind of the same thing here. Normals are walking by this alley all the time. But once you're fixed on it, you can finally see it. I wonder why, like, it's so clearly lifted from Harry Potter. There wasn't, even, they didn't even make a, I mean, like a joking reference to it. Well, it even looks I, like it. I, it even yeah. looks like Diagon Alley. I, yeah. I, I don't know if it, uh, it may have been lifted from Harry Potter. I don't know that, though, because they actually base it on a real world concept of a trap street. Mm-hmm. Trap streets are real things. And yep. they, uh, map maker, as they explain in the episode, map makers, if you're making a map of a city, you put in a fake street that doesn't really yep. exist as intellectual property protection. So that if you later, so it, let's say I make up, you know, name a street after my late wife and call it Renee yep. Boulevard and I put it on the map. And then if I ever see Renee Boulevard on someone else's mm-hmm. map, that's proof that they lifted material from my map and have violated my copyright on that map. Yep. So it's an uh, intellectual property protection device. And they have similar things. You put in fake rivers or fake mountains or, you know, other fake things on larger scale maps. But it's it's something that's real that not a lot of people know about, because obviously, if 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 trap streets were commonly recognized on maps, it would defeat their purpose. And so they're meant to be small and unobtrusive and things that people don't notice. And so for all I know, Stephen Moffat may have been inspired by actual trap streets to come to incorporate this. I suppose. I mean, Diagon Alley is so famous, you know, Harry Mm -hmm. Potter and stuff. Um, And this is not technically, it's not a trap street in the sense, although the doctor keeps calling it a trap street, but a trap street doesn't exist, whereas this yeah, did. So I don't know. It yeah, it just I'm just surprised that it was the the joke was right there and they didn't go for it. That's all. I, not a big deal. Yeah, it, it, and I, I wonder first of all, talking about trap streets, I wonder if you know Google and Apple and their maps mapping services have trap streets. I, I'm I don't sure know if that's do. ever been explored. But um, yeah. but you know, in, in the way I got kind of the impression too was this was actually a street that that Mayor Me slash Shilder had blocked in, so that this right. had been on maps previously but isn't anymore right and that's why right and became it's, a trap and it's just called trap street because that is the concept they're looking for they're looking for a street that doesn't exist but it's on maps and it's essentially a perception filter they don't they never mm-hmm. say perception filter but they throw they throw there's a perception I mean, filter I thought they, did, they did say something they say like the word? that 
Oh, yeah, okay. they said something about perception block or something like that. Right, right. Um, I did like the, the doctor's line. My goodness, a whole London street just up and disappeared, and you lot assume it's copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought that was good. Uh, and I like the process of finding this trap street. Like, they have a whole thing, you know, and there's an, uh, a voiceover as they do it, and they have to look for anything that's too ordinary. And uh, they have count, they and when count you realize their steps. You, you've lost count, that's a sign you may have found it. Right, right. And then the Clara is going to get a box of the doctor's most distracting noisemakers in order to, <laughs> you know, distract them from, you know, whatever is blocking them and to help them find it. When when it turns out, it's just Riggsy actually finds it while they're standing there because Clara brings his phone because yep. um, his phone was broken and the TARDIS fixed it, which, you know, better than the Apple store. And then, mm. um, although it was an Android, but uh, she brings it and it's whatever it was, the me- voicemail that was on the phone is what triggers Riggsy's memory. It gets through the memory block. So not a race, but. Yeah, that TARDIS, TARDIS does a, a memory restore on the, the phone. It recovers right. all the files. So we, it turns out that this Trap Street is a refugee camp that a shelter has set up and she she reveals I hate calling her me because I think it's a dumb name. So just I just call, call her a shoulder. shoulder. Yeah, because it's what the doctor does. And, and that's and what Clara, Clara does too, yeah. Yeah. Um she's set up the doctor as an opponent. Like she's keeping the world safe from the doctor. Mm. And it seems kind of weird. And I I remember she did this at the end of the last time we saw her uh in the Middle Ages, and I'm kind of puzzled. Why? Like, why? Like, the doctor saves the world so often. Why is it she has this thing that she has to save the world from the doctor? It's kind of weird. When the doctor saves the world, there's frequently collateral damage and risk, and she's trying to mitigate that damage and risk. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And are are we retconning that she's been, like, every time the Sycorax showed up when the Sycorax showed up, she saved people and all that sort of stuff. Presumably she's been doing something in the background for the last thousand years, or at least the last 300 years. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can do like the doctor's she's only on this part of the doctor's timeline and only dealing with, you know, I mean, you know, they would, they'd throw something like that in. They don't, but I mean, you can, you could headcanon something like that in there, but yeah, you could, you could presume that anytime since, you know, uh, at least since when she was uh, in England, that she's been in England, she's been affecting things behind right. the scenes. Back from France, where she was last time we saw her. Yep. Um, and so she's running this camp, and which includes things like Cybermen, like refugee Cybermen and other, you know, uh, beings. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was at least a Santaran and some Jadun. I remember yeah, the cops were Jadun. Yep. Yep. And, and, uh, so she's the one who threw the quantum shade on Riggsy. And it's going to turn out that all of this, the fake murder, the Riggsy, it was, is an elaborate plot by the Time Lords, which they don't actually tell you it's the Time Lords in this one. Uh, Correct. They imply we'll find it. find out next time. They imply it. Um, it's all been this elaborate plot to trap the Doctor, which seems... I don't know that. I mean, it's it's a it's a I guess to trap the doctor, you have to have an elaborate plot, I guess. But mm. well, uh, it seems like they the, took it far. Unless you're the Time Lords and can just time scoop him out of his own timeline, which they've done multiple times before. Yep. Right. Including this one <laughs> mm. when they dropped him on. I think they dropped him on um, on uh, Scarif. So uh, but but the, the doctor is here now and he's going to solve the crime. But he says, I won't stay 
unless you give me a, your personal guarantee that Clara will be okay. And a shoulder gives her personal, absolute personal guarantee that Clara will be okay, which seems like a weird thing to guarantee. Mm, and well, it's and is the it basis for plot point, right? And that becomes the basis for Clara's overconfidence that nothing bad can happen to her. In this, I mean, she, she cites this mm-hmm. as why nothing bad, you know, why, why taking the quantum shade won't hurt her. Um, well, you know, it, it's she does the whole. Well, the doctor's always going to fix everything. He always fixes everything. It's like you've been with him when he wasn't able to. And you've seen right. a lot of people die around him. What makes you think your day won't come eventually? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Danny Pink, <laughs> yeah. a prime example. And she fact mentions Danny at the end of this. Um, and maybe this is all part of the hubris that Clara has built up mm-hmm. in her in herself. So the um, there are these telepathic worms that um create this field and this perception filter and all of that um that as Schiller says they normalize everything when the cut within the compass of your expectations and experiences so when you see aliens you don't see aliens you see what you your your experience expects you to see which leads me like why is the doctor then not seeing aliens because that well even he is normally around hum- people that look human whether on gallifrey or on earth Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I, I do like the the show it from Riggsy's point of view, where he's so rattled by this whole thing that the filter's not working 100. percent So every once in right. a while, it, it flickers, and you see you know the head of whatever alien actually happens to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the guy who's it looks like he's unwrapping a bandage, and really he's like grinding on the the skull or on the the, the helmet of a, a Cyberman. You know, right. Things like that. Right. Um. <laughs> that's when a shoulder. This is about when a shoulder says. Uh, don't worry, we're perfectly safe. And the doctor says, the, yes, a phrase I find is usually followed by a lot of screaming and running and bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. Uh, you know, so, actually, I, I wonder, though, if, if the doctor does eventually. I was just thinking through? about this, you know, where he sees through it, because if, there's one point where he talks about how many different species of aliens he mm-hmm. sees. Yeah, right. He encounters. Uh, so I wonder if eventually it, it, he is, he's able to break through that filter. Yeah, I, I I am given. I understood it as the little flashes we see are being experienced by the characters, including the Doctor. And mm-hmm. so he, oh, when man. when he gets there, and a, a indignant bar patron on the sidewalk stands up and glares at him, we get a flash of that's a Santaran. Yep. And I assume the Doctor perceived that as well. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's, that's possible. Uh, the 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 two fa- aliens that we actually don't get a perception filter for are um, the, the murder victim, Anna and Anna's child. We'll get into that in a second um, who have their Janices. That's their, mm-hmm. their species. They have a, he- a face on the front and back of their head after the Roman God Janus, who sees uh, to the future in the past. And uh, so I, I thought it was interesting too. Like they're not filtered, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um, so uh, a shielder says, like the the, the chronolog, this there's basically the penalty for the smallest crime, which is what it seems, is death, and that's the only way you can keep peace. Uh, she says peace on the street depends on one thing: to break it in any way is to face the raven. Is and my question is: is that really peace? Is is that justice? And, well, it, it it it. I mean, these people have consented to be there. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it they've agreed in principle to the rules of the society. And so if you want refugee status and get to live on the street, that that those are the rules. Now you could argue that the rules should be changed. Um but uh a Schilder's point of view is that Given the nature of the refugees, I mean, at one point, the doctor encourages her to give a merciful death to someone who's broken the rules, which is our red shirt who's about to be sacrificed so we can Mm -hmm. see what facing the raven is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she says, do you think a cyberman would care about a merciful death? The only way to motivate people to these people to keep the rules is to be harsh. And so it could she could appeal to the psychology of the individuals that she's working with who are battle scarred aggressors, many of them from other planets, that you need this kind of firmness in order to make all this work. And that's arguable since all these characters are fictional. And you can make up whatever psychology you need to justify your rules. So she could be right. Yeah, but yeah, but there's no mercy. There's no there's no mitigation for circumstances. Uh, no, you know, presumably they they don't you know they don't kill you for spitting on the ground. Presumably, mm-hmm. the 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 lowest of the crimes that carries a punishment is going to be fairly substantial. The one we that we have two examples. One is murder. And so death penalty for that, well, people have seen the logic of that for thousands of years. Um, And the other was stealing medical supplies that are needed by other people. Mm -hmm. And that also endangers life. So presumably it's not, oh, you dropped a gum wrapper on the sidewalk. Now we have now you have to face the raven. Right. Like a bad Star Trek episode. Yeah. (laughs) So um, at one point, uh, Clara tells the doctor that they that they need to go and investigate to find out who really killed this woman and uh, she tells the doctor you know uh, i'll be good cop you be bad cop and he says why can't i be good cop and she says we've talked about this the face he's like oh right <laughs> his face uh it, it's hard to be good cop with the with the angry uh, attack eyebrows uh I, I did like that so clara realizes based on the 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 red shirt who died earlier that it is possible for someone else to take the death sentence from the, the condemned. Because the red shirt's wife begged him to transfer it to her. Right. And uh, and so Clara thinks she's being clever and says to Rigsy, give me the death sentence, the chronolock, and a shoulder's guarantee of my safety will kick in and she'll have to stop. Um, and, you know, not having all the, the information that she needs. Um, but but as you mentioned, like she's so sure and confident of everything through this episode, almost over the top. So like mm-hmm. even in the last few episodes before this, she wasn't like this. She's suddenly this over the top, just reckless. I mean, reckless, yeah. confident to the point of, well, you know, kind of the type of person that I could walk off a cliff and it'll be like Looney Tunes where I could just keep walking. Right, right. And I felt like they could have done a better job of building to this i mean there was there's been a lot of the, the clara taking on the doctor's characteristics which is what we see often with companions who right mm-hmm. before their departure in the modern this, age in the modern right whereas with this uh she just went even like like from zero to 60 between these two episodes um i felt like they could have done a little better job of of building to that but you know that be that as it may um the victim 
uh, of the crime, Anna, uh, you know, is they they picked the kindest, gentlest person that was like no one would want to hurt her. And it's kind of diabolical in a sense, Mm -hmm. because they they wanted to make the crime so heinous that everyone would demand Riggsy's death. And that would be enough to get the doctor to show up, uh, which I think is kind of wow. This is this is as as um, Worcester, or as Jeeves would put it on Jeeves and Worcester. This plan is filled with many imponderables. <laughs> <laughs> well, did yes. they even mention who actually did it? Did I miss that? It, nobody well, did it. The woman's just in it. stasis. But it, she was injured. It was all it was all faked. It was staged, okay. and then they put her in a stasis pod so that she would seem dead. Right, right. Although the 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 daughter knew she wasn't dead, right? I mean, I think that was part of the deal. Yeah, the daughter knew. Um, so and that that was that was again. This is part of the you know. In, so, but someone still had to put. Why did she do it? Why did she go along to be the victim? Who actually set her up for it? And you know, it's all these kind, of, all these like you yeah. said, imponderables. It's like this is right. Well, big it, loopholes. Yeah. When I and when I say imponderable, I mean something that is improbable. You know, right. in all yeah. probability, they would have if they put this plan into motion, the doctor would not have come, and it would have failed. Right. Um, because it depends on them knowing that Riggsy has a way to reach the doctor, which even the doctor didn't know he had. Um, but, and he'd have to discover his tattoo and he'd have to freak out about it and he'd have to contact it. There's a whole bunch of steps in there. Any one of which could have failed causing this Mm -hmm. plan to fail. Um, but, uh, in terms of the, in terms of the woman, yeah, she obviously had to be presumably was convinced to go along with this, although we really don't know because she's in a weakened state when they take her out of the stasis pod and she barely has any dialogue. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we know, we learned from the, her daughter. I mean, um, when, when Riggsy, the only, only way they would know that the Riggsy could contact the doctor was where, you know, after this had happened, you know, he stumbles over her body and is accused and he says he want, he, they need to contact the doctor. And that's about the only way they could have known with any right. certainty that he, had, he even knew of the doctor. They had to know, like he, someone called him and and got him there. So yeah. they had to know that he knew the doctor in the in the past. And, Pres- presumably they observed him during Flatline or something like that. Right. And the Time Lords somehow. Right. Um, so one of the aliens, his name is Rump, you know, the doctor you know, interrogates him. And he basically says that even if Riggsy didn't do it, then it means that one of the aliens on the street did it. And so that will cause more violence and disruption and, and lose the, the safety of the, of their sanctuary. And so it's better that if Riggsy take the blame anyway, so Riggsy gets to be a scapegoat again, Mm -hmm. not very, not very just, but you know, that's alien psychology, as you mentioned, could be, could explain that, you know, alien morality. Um, so I just thought they mentioned that one. Um, so let's talk about um, Anna's daughter, who is mm-hmm. called Anison, which um, or Anison, mm-hmm. which she's pretending to be a son because the sons of the Janices, the you know, male Janices, are not psychic, and so they're trying to protect her from being, you know, known yeah. as being psychic. Whereas for the whereas the female Janices, according to this version of things. 
their forward-facing face is precognitive and their backwards-facing face is retrocognitive and can mm -hmm. see the past, which is part of why Anna is so empathetic and so beloved on the street because she sees everybody's past and is empathetic to where they are now. She understands right. what they've been through. Mm -hmm. And so to keep her daughter safe. So at some point, Anna had a son, had a daughter, and the daughter, of course, would inherit the normal Janus precognitive retrocognitive abilities. And Anna, for some reason, concluded that that would endanger her daughter, like people would try to exploit the daughter, and which I guess wouldn't happen on Janus, but mm -hmm. maybe among these rowdy aliens it might. Um, and so she decided to raise her her son as if raise her daughter as if he were a son, so nobody would realize that the child was psychic and try to exploit it. Right. Right. Did by the way, did you recognize the actress who played the the daughter? Um, mm -hmm. It's Letitia Wright who plays Shuri in the Black Panther movies. Oh, which I have not seen. Yeah, so, I didn't recognize uh, her, but I recognized the name in the credits. Like, oh, we're you know, I was trying to figure <laughs> out where I'd seen that that name before. Yeah, she's good. She's a good actress. I mean, I liked her in the in the Black Panther movies. Uh, so everything is designed to be a trap for the Doctor, as we said, um, including this thing where they want him to put a key into <laughs> this is like an obvious this very futuristic alien technology with the stasis thing, but the way to unlock it is a, a you know, to turn it off is a keyhole that the doctor's TARDIS key will fit into. Um, but he's going to do it anyway, because that's something the doctor will do. Um, and he thinks that it's because uh, she'll just trying to steal the TARDIS, but that's when she reveals, Nope, that's a transport, a, you know, a transmat uh, bracelet, bracelet on you. And, I uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of laugh about the, the prop of the that big console, and as they're as they're building, it's like, okay, we need a lock. So let's go to the hardware store and just buy an off the shelf door <laughs> lock. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it it, it's one of those silly things. I, as soon as I saw, it's like, you know, some intern had got literally got sent down to the hardware store just to buy a deadbolt, <laughs> just so they could right. put that lock in there. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, and then we have, as you mentioned, Jimmy, this this really. Uh, interesting back and forth between the doctor and Clara where the doctor, he knows like, this is like one of the few times the doctor knows that there is nothing he can do to stop what's coming. And the doctor always has a way out of things, but this one he doesn't. And um, he's talking about, he's going to rain holy hell down upon, you know, a shoulder and her street and, you know, everything. And Clara's like, don't become the monster. Like stay, don't become a warrior, stay a doctor. That that's her thing. And she's, she's, it's interesting to see her accept her fate that she's walked into, that she's done to herself. And even as she's about to die, she's focused on the the doctor. The, the doctor's kind of focusing on his own feelings uh, and, and her, the, you know, losing her. But she's sort of outwardly focused. And I, I kind of like this. It's a self-sacrificing moment. She's not only just sacrificing her life for Riggsy through the mistake, but she's also kind of sacrificing her emotional goodbye to save the doctor before she goes, which is, mm. I think, I think, I think there was, this was nicely written. I, mm. I liked this part. Yeah. Um, it was I affecting. I liked that they brought in a bit of, through a bit of dialogue. Clara says, maybe this is what I wanted. Maybe this is why I kept running. Maybe this is why I took all those foolish risks. 
So they're hanging a lantern on mm-hmm. Clara's behavior and suggesting that this she might have had a covert death wish, wish especially after Danny Pink, mm-hmm. right? Which they don't say, but easily could have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so uh, I, I remember she could, she could even yeah. say, maybe this is how I get to be with Danny again. She does mention him here, mm-hmm. but um, but not not in that way. Yeah, but his name mm-hmm. does come up um, as a, another one that the doctor lost, basically. Um, Except the doctor wasn't even there. He just yeah. got run over in the street. Right, right. Uh, I, I suppose the, the the conversion to Cyberman or, or whatever. But in any case, um, it, it's a good death scene. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first watched it, I kind of didn't believe that she was going to die. And mm-hmm. so it didn't have the punch that it could have. Like, I didn't think Moffat's going to kill a companion in the third to the last episode of the season. Like that would, that's not a thing. And as usual, the doctor's going to get her out of it at the very last minute. And so when I, I remember the first time I watched it, it didn't have the emotional punch of, wow, we're losing a companion here. This you know person who's been on the show for this long. Um, this time watching it, funny enough, even though I know what's coming, it actually had more of an emotional punch because I wasn't reserving that judgment. I knew what was going to happen eventually, but it's still Clara doesn't know. And so I kind of put myself in Clara's you know, shoes and mm-hmm. and kind of had that 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 connection there. So it's kind of a funny difference to that one. But I, I thought it was a good death scene for death scenes. Um, so. um. After Clara dies, the doctor does tell a shielder, like you said, I'll do my best, but I strongly advise you to keep out of my way. You'll find that it's a very small universe when I'm angry with you, which I think is a is a great uh, threatening line. Uh, well, it's it, it, out there. This this was kind of an interesting moment for a shielder where she kind of see, saw the doctor as mostly harmless, to use a phrase of the Hitchhiker's Guide, mm-hmm. you know, where she had nothing to fear from the doctor. She had nothing to worry about him. You know, yeah, he he caused harm. He saves planets, but he, like we talked about collateral damage and all that. But this moment, she realized, no, I just unleashed a storm. <laughs> and this storm will harm me if I'm not careful. Yeah. Oh, I messed up. Yep. <laughs> I really messed up. <laughs> so, uh, and then we end with the doctor being teleported away and to be continued. So, um, any other Thoughts about this episode, Father Corey? Yeah, Jimmy? One thing that occurs to me is a shoulders sort of draconian um, way of running the street is likely to be unstable over the long term <laughs> because it, it that kind of okay we're gonna in, we have a limited number of rules but we're gonna enforce them rigidly and without mercy that can work. If you're like on an island or something and you all need to hang together in order to survive, but they're not literally on an island in the middle of London. There's a human society out there with people who are able to deal with aliens like Unit and Torchwood and other groups like that. And so there's a play and and there's the um, the uh, what do you call them? The Zygons out there and so there there are other options besides the trap street and if you're on the trap street and you're dissatisfied with the way things are being run 
you could go elsewhere. And in fact, if if you before going elsewhere, if you mouth off in the wrong way to a shielder and she puts a quantum raven on you, you could run out of the street and scream about it and call attention to it and alert the authorities to the aliens living in their midst. It's not like the inhabitants of the street are all at a shielder's mercy. Um, they have other options they could they could pursue. And so if she is perceived as running things too heavy handedly, then her control over that street is going to fall apart. So I don't think this it, well, while this kind of we've all got to hang together or we're going to hang separately thing can work if you're like on an island somewhere struggling to survive at subsistence level. As soon as you get other options, that kind of ethic falls apart. And so I don't think her street ethic is going to I think it's unstable in the long term. Mm -hmm. mm, I agree. I mean, it is kind of interesting, this idea that the this refugee camp is really literally in the middle of London. Like, yeah, if oh, you want to be hiding, why don't you go in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, that speaking of which. Um, so as an example, we got our red shirt this episode who who died mm -hmm. and but his wife is left. She's going to be unhappy now, presumably, at what happened to her husband. She tried to take the doom for herself, and he wouldn't let her. So she's exactly the kind of person that could lead a revolt against me or just walk out of the street and straight down to the Tower of London and tell unit all about it. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it, yeah. There, I wonder, like, the doctor kind of says there, like, implies that there are other hidden streets where there are other enclaves. It's kind of curious, but um, maybe in other cities even. So kind of interesting. Um, all right. So I think that does it for our discussion of Face the Raven. So we'll we'll be getting to the, the final two episodes of this season of The Twelfth Doctor uh, soon. What a um, roller coaster it may be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to have the 14th Doctor in between. So that'll be that'll be fun to see. Yes, coming very soon. As you back listen. to the future. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we go, we do have that listener feedback I mentioned, and so our first feedback comes from our episode where we discussed the uh, mission to the unknown, the the first Doctor story that didn't have the first Doctor in it, and this came from uh, Colby Thomas on Spotify, who wrote uh, the Daleks unaired pilot is available as a Big Finish Lost Story. It was so unpopular that it later was paired up with a second Doctor Lost Story as a box set. I could only get through 11 minutes. <laughs> mm. I am afraid I haven't heard that one yet, but yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. The idea of building a series around the Daleks would be very problematic. Yeah, building it around the villains. That's the trick. Yeah. Well, it's not just the villains, cause, but, I mean, you can you can have, like, the... The Jerry Anderson UFO series where you you're focusing on the humans that are fighting the bad guys. Right. right. And, and you could you could do that. But if you but trying to have Daleks as the main characters when they're that non-expressive and <laughs> and cookie cutter in their dialogue. I mean, you can't go on for season after season with Dalek choruses of exterminate, exterminate <laughs> several times an episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the BBC did do during COVID a like a six part animated Daleks uh, miniseries, but it was again a one off miniseries about one 
adventure, if you will, one one conquest of the Daleks. You know, right. it was very different than something like an actual series. Now, the idea of, of yeah, the idea of uh, like humans or a group of of uh, aliens that get together to fight the Daleks that could make an interesting mm-hmm. series, but the focus wouldn't be on the Daleks; it would be on the people fighting them. Yeah. Right, right, that's true. So our next feedback comes from way back on our episode 78, uh, when we discussed the keys of Marinus, the, another first doctor story. This comes from Mark Gillies who wrote on YouTube. Uh, Dom mentions that Susan is immature in this serial. Caroline Ford herself was upset about how the character was written. And he's quoting here from a website as she felt that she was written like a child describing her character as pathetic in quote. So yeah, <laughs> Caroline Ford did was unhappy with the way her character developed or failed to, and mm-hmm. and that's why she left because she didn't think that the part was was going in the direction she wanted. One of the things that um, she had been heartened by was when they did the sensorites. You know, they explored uh, Susan's psychic abilities, mm-hmm. and she thought that that opened up an aspect to the character that could be exploited in the future in a promising way, but they never really followed up on that. So she ended up deciding to leave. And they kind of figured it out with Vicky and Victoria, who both were teenagers, but more mature. They weren't, you know, screamy, screamy all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And Zoe is the best of them. Of, yeah. of the young teenage companion. She, she is until ace. Um, right. you know, and they weren't ready for Ace in 1963, but, <laughs> um, no, but Zoe wasn't too far off and she, she worked well. Yeah. I, mean, I, Zoe, I couldn't imagine the, yeah. I couldn't imagine the first doctor saying, give me some of that nitro nine you're not supposed to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, My Zoe dear. comes across. Yeah. <laughs> she comes, uh, anyway, I was gonna say, Zoe comes across as like in her twenties, but I guess she is pretty young, like a late teens. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. what they established. So, um, so anyway, our, uh, our next feedback comes from our recent episode on The Mind Robber, uh, also from Mark Gillies on YouTube. Uh, it's funny you should mention the Celestial Toymaker in this one, as it has been confirmed he is the villain that Neil Patrick Harris plays in the 14th Doctor special mm-hmm. that's coming up. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, they confirmed that on Twitter. Um, and it I, it was interesting. They So the, the Toymaker is a bit of a sensitive character, uh today because of how concerned our culture has become with ethnic considerations mm-hmm. um so originally he the character was known as the celestial toy maker and he was dressed in a costume that was like of a chinese mandarin mm-hmm. and he was um he he and the term celestial refers to the Chinese empire, the celestial empire. And so you could, you could also gloss his name as the Chinese toy maker, even though he was not portrayed as being from China. He, he, he kind of dressed in a Chinese way, but he, and he's meant to invoke Chinese culture, but he's really some immortal, powerful being that can overmatch the doctor. Mm-hmm. And so he's clearly not even from Earth, um, but uh, he was a very popular character and they were planning on bringing him back um, during the John Nathan 
uh, Turner era of the show. In fact, they had commissioned a story where they were going to bring him back the season after Colin Baker got fired. Mm. And Big Finish has subsequently done that as a lost story with Colin Baker. Nice. Um, mm. So you can listen to that. Um, but people have been anxiously waiting and and for the return of the toy maker and talking about it in fandom for a long time, except for those who are culturally, I don't know what the right word is, hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is a racist character, blah, 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 blah. He wasn't even played by a real Chinese guy because how many of those were there working for the BBC in 1965? <laughs> um, and, and so what they did on Twitter is they dropped Celestial. And they mm-hmm. just said, Neil Patrick Harris is the toy maker. So it appears that's what his name is going to be moving forward to yeah. avoid all the politically correct woke issues about race and ethnicity and stuff. Yeah. And, they, and, and he, he's also dressed now in top hat and tails. So very much mm-hmm. not right. Chinese. Or is Geppetto in this European costume. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the, the costumes that we've seen in the trailers are all not Chinese, uh, yeah, at Asian. all, yeah, yeah, at, at all. Um, it's interesting they got you know a car- uh, an actor of his stature. I mean, he's a, a well-known American actor. Um, well, I, I think he's he's he said he wanted to be in Doctor Who at some point. I, I mean, yeah. he's he's kind of a kind of a sci-fi geek, you know. So yeah, I think he said he's wanted to play a role. Also, <laughs> also the original actor who played the Celestial Toy Maker, Michael Goff, was a British actor of some st- stature. I I gather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, thank you everyone for your feedback. We we love getting feedback. So uh, we'll and we'll share more in future episodes. So as we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Peter T, Jonathan M, Anne H, Steely, and Christopher F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who and all the shows at Starquest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give and we'd also like to thank zyman yannick who edited this episode so that's it from us what did you think of face the raven you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the secrets of doctor who facebook page or send an email to doctor who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you can also leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Talons of Wing Chiang. Speaking of Chinese. <laughs> Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Don. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, there's no nice way to say you're about to die. Bye.